Well, here we are, whizzing into Lent, and um, I've made the sort of stupid little thing, really, of giving up sugar and uh, biscuits and stuff. I've been a miserable failure from the start, <laughs> but the thing is, I'm not going to give up on it. And when I was thinking about Lent, I was thinking, you know, yeah, it'd be nice to do that, but what I really, really want is to come closer to God and... Through Lent, it gives you an opportunity to read through a load of stuff. And, and that's why that song means a lot, because I don't know whether any of you have felt rock bottom, sort of broken, and not know what to do next. Well, that song lifted me up, because in a time when I, I didn't want to worship, and it's the last thing I wanted to do, I felt that singing that somehow lifted me up. I know we're singing about lifting God up, but as we lift God up, these peculiar things happen, and he sort of lifts us up. So I'm hoping through Lent, as we travel through, we travel through together because I guess we're all doing different things, but on the other hand, we're all seeking a closer relationship with Jesus. And as we do that, perhaps by the time we get to Easter, we'll have that sense of God's presence I want to come so close to God, in fact, that when I die, I don't notice, because I won't know any different. But here we are, we're looking at this um, piece of scripture from Corinthians. When I saw sexual immorality, I sort of... I can't say I don't know anything about it, because I was bought, well, I was, I was a teenager in the 60s, and it was a pretty sort of promiscuous time, but I think I must have blinked and missed it, because <laughs> I seem to miss out on all the good stuff. But, uh, but, but when we look at Lent, we think of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, and Jesus was tempted three times by the devil. The first time was about food, because it's the natural resource that we all need to survive. Secondly, he was asked to jump off a tower and, in a sense, defy morality, well, being, being mortal. And thirdly, he was, the devil tried to ask Jesus if he'd bow down and worship him. And why was it that Jesus prevailed? It was because he was able to see right through the temptations and realise what they were about and what they were asking him to do. And he said Jesus was tempted three times, but he was tempted more than that because, like us, we're tempted all the time. We not just have a period when we're tempted. Each day presents its own temptations. And Paul here is writing to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth was a new church. It was a young church. It was made up mainly of uh, non-Jews. So there wouldn't have been an Old Testament teaching. They wouldn't have known a lot about the Old Testament and they certainly wouldn't have had the New Testament. So it would have been word of mouth and it would have been the odd letter that was sent to the church. And Paul started off in a, in a strange way, really, because he was a persecutor of Christians to start with. And the first time we catch up with Paul was in Acts of the Apostles, where Paul is handing is holding the coats of the people who were stoning Stephen. And Stephen had been one of the helpers of the disciples. And he was being stoned because he proclaimed Jesus as Lord. 
Jesus as God. And of course, that was heresy to the Jews. But later, on his way down to Damascus to do the same thing and persecute other Christians, he was met with the risen Lord Jesus on the road. And Jesus said to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And after that, he was, he was struck blind, taken into Damascus, where he was met by one of the uh, sort of fringe disciples, I suppose, Ananias. And Ananias healed Paul. And from then on, Paul was just as, je- as zealous as a Christian as he was as a Jew. And so this early church was one of Paul's, like, I suppose, babies that he'd started off. And uh, what was happening in Corinth, it was one of these sort of cosmopolitan sort of places. It was a bit like a, a mini London, I suppose. And the people were, well, they enjoyed everyday human things. And of course, in Corinth, they had temple worship. And the temple worship involved temple prostitutes. I don't know whether they were of both sexes. I wasn't there, so I'm not sure. But you always, no, you always assume, don't you, that they were women. And, uh, and, of course, that was part of their worship and part of their sort of intermediary between them and their, and their gods. And um, Paul was trying to explain to them that this just wouldn't do. I wonder, you know, as Paul had a Damascus Road experience, what, what your experience was. Have you had a Damascus Road experience? And was your experience sort of different? Was it sort of much, much more sort of gradual? But it's interesting to look back and look back on how each of us came to know the Lord and, uh, and our relationship with him. As I say, that was the big temptation. So it didn't mean that sexuality was the only temptation. There were, of course, others like we have today. But I wonder what our temptation is. What, what do we lust after? And what would be your downfall into sin? It's good to have a think about it. For me, it's probably doing what I want to do doing what I want. And that's not necessarily that bad, but it is sometimes. It's not always. But I suppose the other thing is, is the sort of distractions, really, in life, that we don't do what we are supposed to do or what we want to do because we're distracted by something else. I'll give you an example. The other day, well, it's only on Thursday, I was parking my car and I saw someone sleeping rough a building about 30 yards up the road from me and it was quite a thoroughfare so I thought that's a funny place to sleep rough but anyway um, I thought someone would spot them and, and sort of help them. I went back inside and I thought about it and I knew, I knew that I ought to do something I, I knew that I ought to go and say something I didn't really know what I didn't know what I could do and uh, so half hour later, I stuck my head out the front door just to have a look and surreptitiously make sure that they were still there. And they were. Anyway, I walked up the road, stopped, and guess what? There's a load of rubbish bags on the ground that looked like a person. <laughs> so, you know, it can be, can't it, We're in life, we, we, um, we know really what we should do. I knew if that had been a homeless person, I should have helped them. And... Uh, 
after a, after a, a bit of a distraction therapy, I did sort of actually go up the road and help this bag. But um, it would have been, it would have been, you know, and I remembered two weeks earlier, I'd have been up in York and I'd seen a girl sitting by the side of the road begging and she was about the same age as my daughter's. And I stopped and, and, and sort of had a chat with her and, and it seems piffling, doesn't it, what you can do? But I said to her, you know, could she go to a hostel? And she said you had to pay to go to the hostel. Now, you, I don't know whether that's right or not. But anyway, I, I gave her the money to go and stay at the hostel. And I went back and I, I thought afterwards, you know, well, I, I couldn't really, especially after reading this passage, I couldn't have taken her back to my hotel room. So, you know, I think probably it was the only way actually to act in propriety and, and do the right thing. And the next day I met another chap and, it, it, and uh, again I stopped and, and I'm really glad I did. And I've only learned really that... Because sometimes you don't stop. It's not because you don't want to stop. It's because you don't know quite what to say or how to start the conversation. Anyway... That's my sort of distraction and that's one of the things that I could do which I don't do and I probably should do more of it. But it's very revealing what what Paul's saying here about the body and looking at it in perspective. The air body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Paul points out that should we or I lay with a prostitute, that would be equal to our bodies becoming one. So we know that, don't we? but we're being totally dishonourable to God. It's very easy, isn't it, to think that, okay, it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal. And some people might say, well, it's only sex, but sex in Corinth was, that was normal. So they wouldn't have thought really there was anything really, really wrong with it. But any sin dishonours God. And it's when you look at it as it really is that you realise how hurtful sin is to other people. It's not just, it doesn't just hurt us, it doesn't just dishonour God, but it hurts other people as well. I was, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the Ten Commandments. And I, I was seeing if I actually remember what they were even. And I, I wrote them down on a piece of paper. That's pretty good, 98%. But you realise when you go through them one by one, each one is dishonouring to God if you break those commandments. But it's very easy to get hung up on, on, especially on these verses, that it's all about sex, and the church has got hung up on this on many occasions. But society moves on, and things which were not normal a few years ago by public opinion, become normal. I mean, I guess we could all think of things that have changed over the last 50 years, 60 years, whatever. And that's not a bad thing. We'd still have slaves if it wasn't for for people changing things and changing a new way of looking at things. And it's strange how opinions change. I was brought up in a a single-parent family. My, My grandparents had died by the time I was five. My dad had left home, so I didn't have any paternal grandparents. And, and in the 50s, divorce was really frowned upon. And my mum had quite a hard time, you know, and it wasn't... And it, 
everybody in those days, everybody thought it was equal, everybody was equally wrong who was divorced, but it's not so. And uh, when we look at things, we find that over the years we have changed and perhaps we've become better. I hope, I'd like to think we've become better, but I hope to think we've become more compassionate. And that sort of brings me on, really, to thinking about love, because that's what it's all about. We all need a soulmate. That's for certain. We need someone to love us. And that's the most wonderful thing in life, having someone who loves you. And God's created this need within us. It's priceless. It's, it's irreplaceable. And perhaps even you could say it's a heavenly experience. I, I quite often speak about the closeness between heaven and earth because we're very close. Heaven and earth are very close together. And we look at the, we look at the, uh, the natural and the spiritual, the spiritual and the supernatural. And there's a couple of verses where by receiving the Holy Spirit, we become, we're almost guaranteed. Well, it, is, it, says, it uses that word in Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.8, it says, He will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ is faithful. And in 2 Corinthians, and it's nice to know these guarantees and just look at them because it's a, it's a comfort to know just how much God loves us and a comfort to know just how... In a sense, it's not pie in the sky. This is all practical stuff. So in 2 Corinthians 1.22, it says, He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So we've got this wonderful guarantee that, that God loves us and that uh, he will guarantee that one day we will see him face to face. And when we're down and when we're on the floor and when we need picking up, God is there for us. And, you know, it's such a fantastic... I don't know what word I can use. It's sort of... Just too good to describe. But I wanted to, I'd written this bit down, because if I'd, if I'd tried to sort of say this without writing it down, I'd probably said the wrong thing and got it all muddled up. But it's all, it's about our, our holistic nature. We are, we're totally human, but also spiritual. And we're born again by the spirit. And we have to honour that body by our actions each day in this, our own life. And, and, that's our responsibility. And it's important to remember that God loves us. Jesus died for us and the Holy Spirit lives within us and forgives us when we fall and restores us by grace. And that's through faith to continue through our lives of ups and downs, successes and failures. And our part is never to give up the faith and to remember that we'll always be restored. So however many times we fall over, however many times we fail, that we have a God who doesn't criticise us, but loves us and restores us. 
But isn't that a bit like love? Isn't love like that? Love forgives. Love doesn't criticise. I've done some pretty stupid things in my life. But I remember Eve never, ever would criticise me. If anybody else criticised me, she'd kick them in the ghoulies. You know, because that's how she was. You know, so, so, you know, that's what love's all about. It's about, it's about unconditional, unconditional love. And that's what God feels for us. And so as we go through Lent together, my prayer is, and I'm just going to pray it in a minute, so I'll pray it instead of saying it. be better, won't it? Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, that you love us so. You died for us on the cross, and you travel with us on this journey through life, all the ups and downs, and we pray, Lord, that your peace arrest in our hearts, and whatever we do, Lord, we do it for you, because you love us, and you loved us first. In Jesus' name, amen.